It is Monday, June 1st, 2020. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Live podcast. The podcasts just keep on going. I've done more podcasts this year than any other year that I have been doing this podcast. And I think uh, the advantage is, as much as I do not like the idea of the lockdowns and all, I have to admit uh, the lockdowns have worked in my favor in getting more people on, I must uh, confess, we're going to, uh, I'm going to interview April Frampton again, who's been a guest on here. Hi, April. How are you? Hi, Kevin. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. Um, the last podcast we did had some uh, issues. Uh, it was way too long. I had to chop out an hour of it. That's why if you listen to the podcast and I said, I discussed this earlier on the podcast, you're thinking, what? I didn't hear it. Well, no, because I chopped it all out. So we're going to do a part two. I think it'll be much better. Uh, but I'm glad we got part one done, and so let's uh, just dive into it. How did you get started in what you're doing, and that is remote Facebook broadcast to other businesses? Um, it's very interesting. Yeah, so, um, you know, my, kind of my history, and I'll just be really brief on this. Um, I spent a lot of years either doing uh, film, film producing or event, more event <laughs> producing, and where you're coordinating events and stuff. And with that being said, I've also spent a lot of years uh, doing raising money for nonprofit groups. Um, I sp spent almost eight years raising money for a place called the Children's Justice Center, which was a place where it's a safe haven for children that have been in an abusive situation. And so I spent a lot of years raising money. And with that being said, you're you're consistently working and talking to businesses, and generally you're generally you're doing like local businesses, but I've done big, huge events and small events. So um, with what I'm doing right now, years ago, it was probably almost 14 years ago, I had a company called Are You Ready Promotions, which managed, the, which managed more talents, but I was still doing the same platform where it was grassroots marketing and bringing this to light. So when this whole thing started back in March, COVID, <laughs> I call it the zombie virus, when it yeah. started, I um, kind of got my thinking cap on and thought, you know what? I'm going to take my experiences as, as a producer um, doing events and film and also networking and sales and combined everything. So I had reached out to several companies. And instead of just saying, you know, uh, you know, I mean, when see, I see people post stuff and say, you know, with small businesses, you know, what, you know, what is your biggest obstacle or whatever you're doing? Well, it's driving customers through their business. I mean, it's keeping these smaller businesses, these mom and pop shops, I like to call them, open. So I, I created a thing called Fun Facts and Trivia, and I do this via Facebook Live, um, where I ask a series of questions, and I do these little giveaways, and I'll do a shout out to a local business. And so that's just evolved into what I call Spotlight and Remote. So if anybody follows me on my Facebook and they see the, the live, the live connotation or a remote, that means I'm going to be at a physical business and spotlighting their company with either giveaways or whatever we're doing. So generally I'll try, cause I, one of my partnering companies is called nothing but cakes. They're located in bountiful. Um, I generally show up to these businesses with a, like a little treat of something from Bunt cakes. And it just helps open the door because everybody loves bunk cakes. And so I started doing this just by doing these little giveaways. And it's, been, it's brought a lot of business to Sean. 
So with that being said, over the last seven weeks, I gave myself five weeks to really jump in and reach out to several of these businesses, ask them to do, give me a little giveaway. And they were all on, you know, board on that. And because of my, my marketing style, it has, has doubled and increased the business for Sean at Nothing Bunt Cakes or any business that I work with. Because on a weekly basis, I mean, via social media and doing these live remotes, I may be, you know, giving a shout out to a business anywhere from four to eight times weekly. And that's every week. And that's, you know, you're talking monthly. Whereas if you are dealing with like an ad or you're dealing with like radio or something, and I know I'm kind of jumping the gun here. I mean, you may be hearing that business maybe once a week in a repeated in a repeated platform. So sometimes when you're dealing with the mom and pops and you're trying to do a driving force to get people through the physical door of a, of a, of a business, you have to think outside of the box. So my style, so my style of marketing is what I call out of the box marketing, where you have to take each individual business and come up with a, a plan that's going to work for their business. Because Let's say I go into a restaurant. I mean, obviously you can showcase food, whereas you go into a heating and air company. Like I just did a spotlight for a company that they make, um, uh, or they do uh, like limbs for people who who are am who have amputations. Um, you know, I'm going to obviously spotlight their business, and I did a little quick shout out for these guys. So it just depends on the 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 kind of company that you're going into. You have to look at every demographics from the kind of company you're going into, the kind of market that you're you're trying to gauge your audience for. So when I'm looking at a company, I don't just take the company for face value. I go into a little further detail as to what's going to drive customers um, through that platform of a grassroots marketing approach versus social media approach. You have to hit a really large demographics for both because so many companies are relying on the social media aspect you have to be really creative and that's where my experts in my expertise in producing film and being a filmmaker has really helped in this aspect so i, I hopefully that answers your question yeah uh so let's uh, let's get into marketing here what is the okay. difference between because i know you consider yourself a grassroots marketer what is the difference between grassroots and guerrilla marketing so I would consider, um, they're very, very similar. Um, I would consider the grassroots marketing approach and I'll give you an example. So when I go and I, I generally spotlight a business, I will go then and turn around and go to 10 more businesses to promote the one I just did a spotlight. And so basically you are doing the grassroots marketing approach. It's called the mushroom effect where, you know, you tell one, one, you know, because the, the way that I look at it is I'm not going to 10 people. I'm going to 10 businesses. So I may be promoting this to 10 to 30 businesses a week that I'm actually be, being physically in contact with. That's what I would consider like a grassroots marketing approach that you're not just focusing on your social media and your views. You're, you're concentrating on physical paying customers going into a business. And that's the, where the guerrilla marketing, where you're coming up with a unique plan based on, um, you know, what's going to really draw a, a, a draw an audience to them. And that's yeah. kind of more the grassroots marketing. So 
you know, you're, instead of just relying on, you know, like I, I want to say back in the beginning before social media really became, and that was kind of my demographics was grassroots marketing, um, you know, word of mouth, talking to people, you know, and, you know, and it, what's interesting is, is I feel like I'm in the trenches because I'm hearing day to day businesses from a business to a nonprofit organization, what is working and what is not working. I mean, right now, I mean, you have to follow, like, so I do a lot of research on the marketing component. So you have to follow the trends. Like right now, in just the demographics of, say, a restaurant, you have restaurants and businesses who have to do things that they were not doing three months ago. So, I mean, you have to bring all those things to light. And so when you're going into a company, you got to be three steps ahead of the company. Because a lot of times when you're doing a grassroots marketing approach, um, you're going to get a little bit of pushback and you've got to have every single answer. Like you can't just say, I don't know, like you've got to figure it out. And they're looking at you because a lot of times people don't know what they need. They don't know what they want. They think of ideas, but here's the difference of a grassroots marketer. You take that concept and you put it into place. That is the, that's the bottom line. Like you can't just come up with all these great, all these ideas. Because ideas will only get you so far. Social media, I mean, if you're selling stuff online, social media will get you to a will get you to a point, which is great. But you've got to have a really creative spin to what you're marketing, and that's what I say a grassroots marketer would do: is you're creating different plans for different businesses. And then if you have, and then generally when I'm going into a business and I spotlight them. I try to stick within 10 miles of the business to market for the one that I just went out of the doors from. Okay. So what's the difference between that and guerrilla marketing? So um, really the, the difference, the, the difference is, is that with grassroots marketing versus guerrilla marketing is just that, just like what I said, you're coming up with a creative spin on the marketing component versus you're going into working with the owners or people of their companies and you have to come up with how you're going to have a driving force of a marketing component going into their business like they're looking for answers okay so that's that's, that's the grassroots marketing then as opposed to right. you just going into the business and i don't know doing outlandish things to get customers correct Right. I mean, it's, it's gotta be like your idea. You, you can have all the great ideas in the world, but you know, customers and you know, I mean, anytime that you're starting out things new and I know for me, I mean, a lot of people will say, well, what's your views on social media? Well, I'm, I'm continuing to build it up. I mean, in seven weeks with the amount of companies that I'm working with right now is I gave myself and I, I know that I go in what I call platform steps is that you, you do you, if something's not working, you have to change it. You've got to think outside of the box. And so, um, I, I call them baby steps and marketing components because, you know, when you're looking at a, a big company that's spending million dollars on advertising, they're going to go, well, why would I want to go with you versus a company that has a hundred employees versus a company that has seven employees? Yeah. Now, let's talk about uh, Superdell. Now, for those of you who don't know, because we do have people outside of Utah listening who have never been to Utah or not as familiar with Utah, Superdell was a guy with totally awesome computers. I don't know if I do a good imitation of him, but uh, 
I moved to Salt Lake in 1998, and he was a real turnoff for me because I thought the guy was so goofy. In fact, uh, I'll get into the well. I'll get into that later. But uh, do you think that he understood the whole concept of marketing? Because I was uh, really turned off by his ads. And why do you think that was? Because he got a lot of business. What did he do to not have me as one of his customers? So you bring up a really interesting point. And I think that people think a negative spin for a company on the marketing components is a bad thing. It's not. Because as a smart business owner, you have to know your audience. Like you have to know who you're selling a product to, okay? The, the reason that Dell, at the time that he came in, which was, I would say probably the early 90s, um, was his style of marketing. Um, you, you had that grassroots marketing approach, but he had the, he did have billboards. He had the media spin. He had all that going. But the one thing is, is whether you agreed or disagreed with Del Shanzi, he had one of the most honest, genius marketing approaches ever. And he just, his style of marketing, whether you love the guy or you didn't, you agreed or to agree or disagree with him made no difference to him. Because at the end of the day, whether it's a positive or a negative spin, if you have something and you've created a campaign that people are noticing you, they're talking about you, and you've set the platform is to know who you were, what you did, and that people either liked you or they didn't, they may not agree with you 100%, but at the end of the day, the last thing that you will say is that you do not remember Del Shanzi. That is a brilliant marketing campaign on every platform oh, yeah. of the word. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, um, and I know that um, another company who does this is Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's has a very grassroots marketing approach to their, to what they do. So they flavors and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll get people to um, comment on the, on the flavor of their, they'll get people, oh. What's that? Oh. Oh, sorry. Did you hear me okay? Uh, something about Ben and Jerry's and two flavors. Okay. Sorry, I turned my car and it picked it up. Okay, so what I was just saying, Ben and Jerry's is another really creative, a uh, pretty creative marketing style, very much like Del Shanzi's. And the reason that their marketing style is really, really smart is because you will remember the flavor, you'll remember the branding, and you'll remember what it is. Because when it comes to marketing, it's all about your branding. Whether you agree, disagree, like, or don't like. And that's why Del Shanzi was an absolute marketing genius. Okay, how does, uh, part of my ignorance, how does Ben and Jerry's market? Because I have never heard any of their ads on the radio at all. Um, that is their... They, they do not do ads, okay? I mean, rarely will you ever hear that. This is why Ben & Jerry's is exactly what I'm talking about. Ben & Jerry's started in, I think it was either, I think it was actually, uh, uh, I want to say Vermont is where they started. It was kind of a mom and pop's shop. The thing with Ben & Jerry's is they have never lost their platform. They don't do anything different. When you go into Ben and Jerry's, you know exactly who you're going to. Like you might have a company, and I, I don't want to talk too much about national brands, but it's kind of like, you know, McDonald's. 
I mean, you go across the country and it's the same, you know, it's the same no matter where you go. Ben and Jerry's is, their platform is, when you talk about a grassroots guerrilla marketing approach, that is exactly their format because they don't spend a lot of money on, because they would rather put their money back into their employees and back into their products and they would do rather do a creative spin, just exactly what I'm talking about for their product, as opposed to spending millions, millions of dollars on a big advertising campaign that may reach a small percentage. Because if you like a product, here's the thing is, and this is the rule of thumb in marketing. When you have a business, if you go in and it's a really good product, three people are going to hear about it. If it's really bad, 25 will hear about it. That's the rule of marketing. Now, That's how it uh, goes. Real, ben and Jerry's, uh, do you know, did they invent cookie dough ice cream? Because the first time I heard about cookie dough ice cream was in 1992. My cousin called me. I said, oh, they have this ice cream called Ben and Jerry's out here in Maryland, and it's uh, cookie dough ice cream. Were they the ones to invent that, or was that someone else? You know, honestly. That is actually a really good question, Kevin, and that is maybe something I will look up for my fun facts and trivia. I don't have the the answer for that right now. I know that, you know, I mean, you're talking, um, you know, a couple of different companies that I can think of right off the top of the, or right off the bat. You know, you're talking Baskin Robbins and Ben and Jerry's. So you have very two different style of marketing companies, but at the end of the day, because food sells. Who will sell will sell your marketing campaign? Anything that you can physically touch or taste, and that's kind of going back to what I was saying about Del Shanzi. I mean, his his thing. But anything you can physically touch or taste in a marketing component, people are going to remember you, and that's why his his marketing style was so successful. Yeah, well, let's go back to Del Shanzi for a minute. Uh, because you could probably, for those of you that don't know who Del Shanzi is and totally awesome computers, basically it was a computer store that would build a computer for you. You could actually get a customized computer, which was uh, pretty common back in the early to mid-90s. Not so much now. There are still companies that do it. Dell obviously doesn't. Dell Computers and someone else. But uh, there was another company that came on the scene, at least as far as I know, back in 2000. Could have been before them, but I didn't hear them on the radio until 2000, or at least advertised, called LS Micro. I went to LS Micro if I had computer problems just because I could not stand Dell. Do you think Dell actually was successful at driving some of his customers, some people to LS Micro? You know, I do. I mean, and this is a really interesting, and this is something to remember um, about grassroots marketing, okay? I mean, I'll be driving down a road, and I will look for what I call one-off businesses that are generally, I know that they may have one or maybe two uh, businesses. And the thing is, is that Del Shanti, whether you agreed or disagree with his crazy antics or whatever, he yeah. was a smart business owner, Okay. And yep. he, he really did not care whether you liked him or you didn't because he knew his marketing. He knew his marketing and he knew his audience. So, I mean, to say that, that he had a lost customer, I think that because he grew his business pretty quickly that I don't think he was really focusing on that. I think he was more focusing on becoming this, um, 
you know, uh, like when people think of computers, he wanted to be that person people would think about. Oh, so sure. I think that, and the problem is, is that, you know, once, and I know for, even for me, like, um, you know, I'm very careful with what I do, that you got to be careful for your personal views and also your, your political views. Because once you start crossing over into a political arena, it changes your demographics, it changes your audience, it changes your customers. And if you don't yeah. get people who agree or who agree like you think, um, and I know that, you know, as I'm building up my, as what I'm building with my company, I want to say, like, um, I try to be very, very careful on everything that I'm talking about, everything that I am promoting for that very reason. Because, you know, you get, you get one company who gives you, a, you know, a bad review or something. I mean, it will hurt your business. And right now, I mean, companies are really at the platform of either they're going to sink or swim and you got to be really careful. So I think the approach that Del Shanzi had, you know, in the early nineties as to put what, put what people are doing now. I mean, I can think of three companies right off the bat that are another Del Shanzi. What are those I mean, companies? If you don't mind mentioning their names, I can tell you right now it's Dan, the man, the laptop man. He's yes, very, now I do like Dan the man, by the way. He's, he's, a, he's just genuinely just a good person. I mean, yeah. everybody likes Dan. And he, his yep. platform is very across the board. He's got these crazy fun videos. You really identify with him. Then I'm thinking Geico. You've got um, oh, yes. Flo from Geico, which you love her. You love her character. You were, if you were to see her, you wouldn't even know her name, but you know Flo. She's branding pro progressive. I mean, actually, actually not Geico. It's progressive. And then you have the duck that says Aflac, but it's annoying, but it's, it's brilliant marketing because nobody else will say, Hey, we were, we were lied to a duck or the, the pig hanging out the window with the, with the pinwheel. That is another brilliant style of marketing because you remember those, those commercials. And I'm thinking in a day's time and you're listening to the radio I mean, you literally, these companies, when you're doing a marketing pitch, you have 10 seconds to get your customer engaged into what you're talking. And that's smart marketing. Let's talk about, real quick, before I get into some other questions, let's talk about Taco Bell. Do you think that they were great marketers on the radio? Because I seem to remember a whole bunch of commercials that they did on the radio. You know, yes. And the reason that they did is because you had food. And you had an identifying property, which was Akira Taco Bell. It was that little Chihuahua. People loved it. It's like the tar the the Target dog, the one with the little eye, the bullseye or whatever. People identify with that because it's fun. He's cute. He's you know that people identify with that. So yeah, when you talk about Taco Bell, their their style of marketing is brilliant because. They didn't just rely on the radio. I mean, they were doing ads. They were doing all kinds of stuff to market their company. And now because they, you know, they're smart because, you know, their, their thing is, is that they were, you know, they, they're known for their tacos. Okay. Their cheap yeah. menu, their tacos. That's why people go there. But just in the last 24 months, I would say was, I would say 24 to 18 months, their marketing campaign has changed and I, I know exactly what it's changed to. They've changed to, to their broader spectrum because not everyone that's going through the drive-thru is going to order a taco. You have a lot of vegetarians and now you have a lot of people who are eating vegan, plant-based. They've got plant-based food. 
they are promoting vegan food, they are promoting vegetarian. So this is a company that is paying a close attention to their audience because their audience, you're, you're talking, you've got your late night, you've got your late night crew of your, at one o'clock in the morning, you're talking teenagers, teenagers to college students. Okay. Who's yep. going to be ordering that food? Well, you know, people are becoming more health awareness and conscious. If you're not on top of your game, you get left behind in the marketing component. So yes. Now, um, I have to confess, I rarely watch any TV unless it's newscasts or something. But the thing about Taco Bell and the radio, and you're right, uh, the Chihuahua, I remember everybody talking about the Chihuahua back in 98. I remember all the controversial controversy behind that with lobbyist groups and what have you. It was a mess. But uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, but I want to talk about the radio aspect of Taco Bell because that's what I'm familiar with. I remember, you know, they would say things like cross the border, man. Or, uh, and, you know, there was one commercial where they would say, can't remember the whole commercial, but I remember at the end, and it was a, a big sexual innuendo if you thought about it. And maybe you remember this, April. On, on the radio, it'd say Taco Bell bringing us a little closer together. And I assume. Obviously, it was on the radio, but I assume the guy leaned into the girl and she said, not that close. And he said, oh, sorry, violation, ma'am. You think that uh, that was a good example of guerrilla marketing and you know, smart radio advertising? Um, you know, it is. And I mean, if, when you're listening to the radio, I mean, you're doing a, a radio jingle, which is usually about anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute is usually the, the longest that you're going to want some kind of a radio ad, depending on what it is that you're, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, especially nowadays, I mean, you know, marketing people and companies, I mean, they've got this, this, uh, this thing about this meat, you know, when the me too movement and all this stuff, but you know, what was then what they can do now? Absolutely. They have to, they have to watch the trends and they have to watch what's going on. And so, you know, I, I, I think for me, when I go in there, like, and you're talking to a company, you need to have all the answers. And so when you're asking the kind of questions that you're asking, um, and you know, coming up with this, you no, absolutely. I mean, I can remember when it was Danica, uh, Danica Patrick, she's the race car driver. She was doing some stuff for, I think it's not Hardy's Carl's jr. Carl's Jr. is another one with their marketing platform that they had this big marketing campaign with women eating these hamburgers and they got a lot of really, really, really negative um, feedback from it. I mean, on social media. And that's the thing is now that, you know, when you're talking in the early 90s, you weren't dealing with that. You have one negative spin to your marketing campaign. You can be destroyed in a matter of 48 hours with social media. Oh, so, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so you've got to really be thinking of that. And I think that as these companies are coming up with these marketing campaigns and doing this stuff, um, you know, you got to really watch your P's and Q's. Because, I mean, right now, everybody's under a microscope. And so what absolutely. was Absolutely. And so to answer your question, um, if they were to take that same spin, and even this uh, with Danica Patrick, and there was a girl standing out on the runway eating a hamburger, she was in a bikini, um, that got a, a lot of really, really negative press. I mean, really negative press. So 
you got to be mindful of that because you, you know, I mean, especially where everything's kind of getting censored, you've got to just, I, I think this is where, you know, with what I'm doing, I can really help companies because I'm watching the trends. I'm watching exactly what you're talking about, what's going on in the world today. Yeah. Now, uh, just real quick, let's talk about them. We'll move on. Um, I don't know what their ads were like on TV because I rarely watch TV. However, every time I hear a Taco Bell, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the radio commercials? And maybe they're still this way. I have not heard Taco Bell advertised on the radio in years. Do you remember the no. bell that would go off, the real low-sounding bell when the commercial would end on the radio? Yes. And you would hear, yeah, you would hear this bell, and then you would hear, Akiro, Taco Bell. And yep. you knew that from that component, you're going to see the Chihuahua. And then they had this oh, thing okay. where they, yeah, so it would go from that, it would go to the Chihuahua, and it would say, the Chihuahua, they would, like, do a zooming of the, a panning shot of the dog, and it would look like the dog was talking to say, Akiro, Taco Bell. And that's where it would end. So oh, okay. It was very yeah, dynamic I, to that. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just remember that. Every time I hear a Taco Bell, I think of that bell. Anyway, uh, what are problems that businesses have today? What are the issues and uh, what are they? Are a lot of businesses not doing to be good marketers like they could be? Um, you know, I, I think that marketing companies and I think that even bigger companies, you know, from what, you know, because I have a physical thing to show companies like what I'm doing and here's it. And, and they realize that the, the thing that they like with what I'm doing is I know my market. I know my demographics. And when you're talking about, you know, doing a live remote for one company and you're going to 10, 10 more to personally invite them to that, but then you keep pitching or talking their ideas. But, you know, the, the companies themselves have to stay on top of their game. I mean, because everything is, you know, you, you do have to create an, an awareness, not just in a grassroots, but you have to also create an online presence because people are paying attention to their phones. I mean, you have everybody that's turning to apps. You have everybody that is turning to social media, Facebook, Instagram, I mean, Twitter, all of these things. And so with kind of the style that I'm doing, I mean, I started out with just Facebook. Now I'm integrating into to Instagram so I can get, you know, my viewers up. Then I'll start in, integrating in, you know, Twitter, because if you use all those platforms, but you're smart about your marketing style, you can use it for different things that are going on. And I think this is where companies are really looking at, you know, do, um, you know, sending, say, a value pack or an ad in the to a newspaper. Is that really worth? I mean, is is that smart marketing dollars? No, probably not. Because if, you're, if you have a company that is spending, say, thousands every month to get into the general population, if you have, say, even, let's just say, let's just focus on 1%, okay? We're going to go 1% to break this down really simple, okay? And let's say that I am marketing for Taco Bell, okay? So I know the breakdown of the hours in the day, like if you were going to do something on radio versus social media, I know what my driving force is going to be as far as people paying attention to me, you know, moms and different people and families and stuff like that. So really, you know, everybody at this stage of the game with everything that's going on, you got to take three steps ahead because right now 
on a marketing standpoint, an advertising dollar, people are very nervous on spending advertising dollars. They are. Because what they did four months ago, Kevin, they're not doing now. Companies absolutely cannot have that same mindset. And me and what I do, I know that. And that is the, that is the, that is the hot button that I hit with these companies. Because we, you know, we bring it up, you know, um, if I'm dealing with a food truck versus a restaurant versus let's say a car place, they're all trying at the end of the day, the end of the day, your end result is driving customers to your business. How is the best way to do that? And I sat down with a company, you know, with a owner of a company and he said, you know what I really like about your style of marketing April? He goes, you're not in the box. If something's not working, you're willing to go outside of the box and do something different. And that's, that is the most important thing that I can bring to somebody's table with what I do on the marketing component, because it's not a cookie cutter. Not every business is the same. And if you, if you hire a big marketing firm to do your, your, you know, your marketing or a social, you're doing a social media campaign, that's smart dollar dollars. But because, you know, a lot of businesses right now are struggling, they don't have those dollars to spend into a, into a marketing campaign. So this is where I do think of the smaller business, you know, business that I'm affordable. I'm getting the word out, but every single day, I don't care if I'm at a grocery store. I don't care if I'm at a gas station. I don't care if I'm going into a restaurant. I am constantly the ABC always be closing. You are, every person to me is an opportunity. I don't care what business you're in. It's an opportunity. And that's how you have to think outside of the box. Never yeah. judge a book by its cover. And that's kind of the philosophy. And so to, to answer your question about businesses, I mean, I think a lot of businesses are really kind of in that element of trying to figure out different ways to get people through their door. Um, and social media is, I mean, it is really the best way but, you know, to just rely on your views and just rely just solely on getting people through the door. Um, I have that, but I also have the personal touch of physically having a person to talk to instead of just going to your computer, hoping that someone's going to show up at your door. That's the difference. So do you think advertising on the radio is obsolete? Uh, do you think there's a place for radio advertising? You know, I do. I do think that there is definitely a place for radio advertising. And I think that if a company is going to do it, you want to do it at your peak hours. You know, your, your uh, business people are, you know, your five o'clock to eight o'clock in the morning, just like a newscast. Yep. You know, you have your lunch hour people, which is midday. And then you have people who are like their families or kids or whatever. They're hearing ads. And that's why, you know, like, and Domino's is brilliant marketing because they know their market very, very well. And they will generally show their ads first thing in the morning and then they will show them again at night. Because the reason that people will think, oh, I want a pizza, like I'm starving. And so they know showing it at those key times is by doing a 10 second flash of their product is going to drive people to their business. That's a food, let's talk, that's a food marketing, yeah. Let's talk about uh, something uh, um that strikes me something readily interesting as we're talking about this speaking of radio marketing and uh, we can put this to TV one of the very few TV commercials that I actually remember do you remember 
1991 bonbons advertising on TV. It was just a little 15-second ad. Do you remember that? I think it was 16 seconds. Mm -hmm. I timed it once. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Okay. That, I thought, was highly effective marketing. Number one, the song was annoying, and the song went so fast. The thing about a bonbon, it's almost always gone down. Bonbons, and there's some other things in there. But it was so annoying. I, when the ad came out, I thought, what, what did I just hear? I didn't catch all that. So I just listened really closely once. Oh, it was bonbons. It was annoying, but I could remember it. And then once I figured out what it was advertising, why, don't, why didn't more businesses do that, or why don't they do that now? Because that's actually very catchy. Um, you don't know. No, let me, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, actually I do. So I, you know, and that's what you call your first, um, your, it's called the, the elevator pitch marketing components in the world of marketing. Really? And so, yes, it is. You're, you're creating an elevator pitch. When you're going in and talking about your product, in the first 10 seconds, you need to captivate your audience and bring them into what you're talking about. So um, I think companies do, but I think that you've got so many people that are looking at their phones and the visual components that you have a lot of visual marketing as well as hearing marketing. Jingles and music and whatever. Now, um, back in, oh, when was it? 2011. It was only on Cumulus radio stations. And you may remember this. Uh, at least on K-Bear down in Salt Lake and 101.9 The End. And I'm sure there were other stations across the country that were owned by Cumulus. Do you remember this ad that would come on at the end of the hour and say something about pizza and cinnamon sticks, for, pizza and cinnamon sticks, $15. It was so fast. I ended up calling the radio station and said, what on earth are you talking about? What is this ad you're running at the end of each hour? Because I could not catch it. And they said it was Pizza Hut. Do you think that was ineffective because the ad was so fast? I couldn't even hear it very well if I heard the whole, tried to hear the whole entire thing. I'm like the bonbon ad. Because how many people um, would actually call the radio station for, what are you playing? You know, I really do, Kevin. Honestly, I think it was actually part of their marketing plan because just like you, you couldn't hear, so you called the radio station. Okay, yeah, but how well, many people did that, though? You know, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is that anytime that you have a company that's coming up with a marketing component and they're going to a large demographics of a market of people, um, they really got to pay attention what's working and what's not working. I mean, at the end of the day, is your marketing, whatever you're spending money or doing, does this make sense? That, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It does this make sense. Am I yeah. getting my bank for my buck? I want to, do you, do you think that that was a very effective uh, marketing tool though? Because at least the Bon Bon song, you can hear the song a little bit when you paid real close attention. But I remember you know, this I ad. Do. You know, I do. I mean, I think it's a component of, um, you know, I do. I mean, I do think that. I do think that these people knew what they were doing. I think that you have a jingle versus a visual. And what you're doing on it, you know, it's kind of like when people say disclaimers at the end of a, at the end of something. Like a medical disclaimer. I mean, they go really, really fast. Because oh, they yeah. have to get that, they, they have to get that in. So it could have just been a disclaimer too. 
Now, real quick, uh, I want to bring something up, and then I'll ask some other questions that I wrote down here. Um, this is fascinating, so forgive me for getting off topic. Years ago, and I only heard this on the Rush Limbaugh show. I did not hear it anywhere else. And the only reason that the only way that you could pick it up on Rush's show is if you were in the local area of New York City or if a radio station was broadcasting the ad because they couldn't fill the local ads at that point. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Rush Limbaugh used to have two ads that you would pick that, you know, after each segment of a show, he'd run two national spots and then the local spots had to come on. Well, sometimes the local spots weren't, you know, sometimes the cart was defective. This back in the early 90s when they had carts. Sometimes carts were defective. Sometimes reel-to-reel wasn't put on like, like it was supposed to be. So then the station had just aired air the national ads. And I distinctively remember to this day, the American Lung Association had the most dramatic music. And it was, it actually scared me to be honest. I don't know if you remember this mm -hmm. commercial. And it said, when you can't breathe and play this really low, low frequency tone, nothing else matters. It would almost scare you. And by the way, it even was worse if I heard it late at night uh, because the radio station I used to listen to Rush On actually aired the national ads at night that were on during the day. Oh, let me tell you, it was worse at nighttime. Do you think you think that was done on purpose as well? Do you think they knew people would be more scared at night hearing that low music? Of course. What they set out to do, you just described to a T. That was their plan. You you described their marketing. I mean, here's the thing is, marketing isn't is not black and white. If you are a black and white marketer, then you have probably a really low marketing like your demographics of your people. But if you are not in the gray zone and not just willing to just do one thing to think this is what works, then you are a smart marketer. Yeah. Do you remember, do you know what I'm talking about with that commercial? I don't know if very many people knew about it. You know, I, I do. And it's just, you know, I mean, it's even now the, the long careness, you know, you've got somebody who's got a trachea that's talking that's actually scary. And if you're not paying attention, you're like, what the heck is that noise? What are, excuse me, what are they doing? Yeah, it's funny because I actually remember in 1993, I was at somebody's house and we were uh, swimming for a scout merit badge. And this is back when I had a real bad fear of high water and I was doing something at the deep end of the pool. And I knew I had to get up out of the water real quick because I was running out of air. And guess what? I thought of that dramatic commercial. Isn't that funny? Well, you know, I mean, the thing is... Maybe is that being funny is not the right word, but anyway. Well, no I, no, I understand what you mean. And I think your audience is going to understand what you mean. I mean, when you, come, when you are talking about a company and you're coming up with a branding, a branding for your company, I don't care if you're physically, if you're social media driven, if you're grassroots marketing, at the end of the day, like your company, whatever you're doing, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a you know, like say uh, a heating and air company. When you Google search, you want your company to pop up first so that that's kind of people are thinking about it. They're thinking outside of the box. They're thinking about these things. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. And that's how, you know, people, people think. And so, you know, right now, I mean, 
I mean, here's the thing is, Kevin, is that I may hear in the next two weeks, I may hear a lot of no's. Companies are like, no, I don't want to work with you, April, or no. But you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't mean that I failed. It just means that maybe they didn't understand my vision. They didn't understand my concept. So then you go back to the drawing board and you come up with another creative idea of what works for one doesn't work for everybody. And that's a smart company that is on a budget with their marketing platform will do that. They will always watch the trends. They will always watch the market. They know who they're pitching their product to. And that's what they're talking about. That, I mean, no. that's the thing is just that just what the company set out to do is exactly what it set out to do by just what you're describing to me. I mean, I don't think that they wanted you to have a heart attack by any means, but no. they sent out to scare you into don't smoke. I mean, that's it. Very flat yeah. tagline. Very simple. It's very simple marketing. I mean, and the thing is, is that the kind of grassroots marketing approach there's a term in the world of sales. It is called KISS. Keep it simple, silly, okay? And mm -hmm. the other term is always be closing. So when you're, when you're talking to somebody, if you are over-explaining your idea to somebody of why this is going to work, they're not going to believe you. They are not going to be sold. They are not going to believe mm -hmm. you. They're looking at you going, really? Awesome. That's great. But how is that going to help me? So you got to be like ahead of the, the, the you got to be ahead of the curve. No pun intended there, guys. We so are flattening the curve. So <laughs> maybe we went over this, but what is missing today in marketing in business marketing? What's missing? So just from what I'm running into, the one thing that is missing is you have the social media aspect, but people are missing a human connection. Like, because you can put all their stuff on social media, but this is the one link that I have with companies that they are missing. Because especially if they're just relying on their social media and that's all that they're doing, they obviously know their market. But all I do is I take really my concept, incorporate social media, but then I also incorporate a person, person going to other person's business on a, on a, on a um, personal level. I'm customizing what it is that's going to help grow their business. That's yeah. it. I mean, it's very, it's one word and it's very simple. I mean, because social media is, is being socially media driven is really key to the success of a company. Absolutely. I'm not discounting that. But just in what I'm learning and working with a smaller, smaller one owner business, maybe two, they have not, I mean, I'm talking probably under 20 employees. Okay. That's my demographics. But when I go in there, I mean, when I'm talking to them, I mean, I, ha I need to be the expert. I have to stay in control and be the expert as to why a company should use me versus what they're already doing. Yeah. And the difference is, is like, I'm not going in there saying, oh, I want to come in and be a massive marketing company for you. No, 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 no. I just want to create some aware. So I'm, so right now in the marketing component, I'm paying attention to what businesses are opening, what they're doing. And I'm creating what they call a, uh, an awareness campaign more than I am. I mean, I want to continue working with these companies, but I just want to get people through their door and I start creating an awareness campaign. So people know who's open, what they're doing, how they're taking safety measures. And that's what I'm relaying to the people. Yeah. 
Now, um, we got a few minutes left. I'm, I'm trying to make this an hour or shorter, but we got a few minutes left. So let's, let's get into multi-level marketing. I remember, and by the way, I did not live in Utah in the early 90s. Uh, uh-huh. I moved to Utah in the late 90s, but I remember even outside of Utah, the number one most talked about multi-level marketing company out there, and maybe it's because I lived close to Utah, Boise, Idaho, a lot of members of the church there. It was all about new skin, new skin, new skin. On the radio, on KSL radio, when I'd hear it at night, during BYU football or basketball games, new skin, new skin. What happened? How did they lose that? How did they lose their popularity? You hear nothing about them. What happened? So, you know, here's the thing is, and I just had a situation that happened just this week. Um, a company, a, somebody called me, and here's what I know. Kevin, and I can say this because on a personal level, if I'm going to, I have been approached by several companies with what I do from nonprofits to doing events to um, selling for multi-level marketing companies. And there's probably one or two handful in the years that I've actually done that for. And here's the reason why is because I'm more concerned about creating relationships and friendships with people. But the problem is, is if everybody that sees me as a multi-level marketing, oh my gosh, here comes April, she's going to try and sell something again. That's not the case. I have to be really, really careful. Generally, when I, when I talk to start talking to companies, I start getting a relationship with them first. And then, you know, I'll bring bunk cakes or whatever. And then they're like, oh yeah, I want to hear what you're talking about. But if I start talking and start pitching them on a product that I'm trying to sell them, that's all I become to them people. And that I can actually hurt and harm my relationships with people. Um, I think multi-level marketing has a definite place. And I think the people who do this full time are brilliant marketers. I think they're brilliant salespeople. And I think that they definitely know their market of what they're doing. I mean, I have family members who are very successful at it. And when they've asked me to do it, instead of just saying no, I just said, well, here's my skill set. What if I do this for you? Instead of just flat out saying no, I have been very, very reluctant to hop on any of those bandwagons because at the end of the day, like that's not what I want to be promoting and that's not what I want to do. Okay. Yeah, because I actually heard uh, from somebody that was a new skin distributor, their downfall is when they started selling vitamins. You know, it, here's the thing is, is if your company, like whatever you're selling, and you've got your kind of platform of what you do and people that trust in you and believe in you, and if you start pushing a product on that maybe they either don't want or, you know, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting dynamic when you have a company that's got a platform of what they use and what people know. And um, it's kind of like reinventing the wheel. It's kind of like, and I'll use this as an example, it's like In-N-Out Burger. I mean, In-N-Out Burger is one of the most simplest restaurants or like drive-thrus you can go through. They, and they're they, good they spe- too. They're good. They specialize in hamburgers. Yep. They specialize in fries. They have drinks and they have shakes. That's it. They don't try to throw salads. They don't try to throw. So when people go to their restaurant or their drive-through, I mean, on any given time, that thing is filled up. Even in the pandemic, that thing was filled up. Chick-fil-A is another one. 
Okay. And the reason is, is they have really good products and they don't try to change what is working for them. And I think as a multi-level marketer, if you have your demographics and somebody really doesn't want to be sold, like say on vitamins, but you're trying to get them sold on vitamins, you're going to lose the audience that you've already created with your, with your down leg on the right and the left side. You may, you actually may hurt your business because you're trying to do something that they're not interested in. And then they're like, Oh no, now they're going to sell me something else. So you got to be really careful. You got to know that market. Yeah. Um, so why do you think doTERRA is so successful? Because everybody knows who doTERRA is. They're kind of the new new skin in terms of notoriety. What are they doing that's so good? And by the way, I am not advertising for doTERRA, but I am a proud member of doTERRA. No, I am not going to sell it here. Um, so... So doTERRA really, like, here's the thing is, doTERRA is such a branded product that it's, it's a sold product that people love. They use, I mean, you literally could talk to your neighbors and sell the product just in a conversation. Like you're not, here's the thing is, is if your product is good enough, you're not really selling it. You're, you're, there's two ways to look at it. You're either selling a product or you're bringing an opportunity to someone's life whether it's using the product or selling the product. There's two platforms to look at. If you're going to sell it, you're pitching a product. If you're just using it and telling other people about the opportunity, you're marketing it. Make sense? Yeah. Well, uh, so is there anything else uh, you want to talk about before we end this podcast? Um, I'm just going to do a plug. You can check me out on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. at Fun Facts and Trivia via Facebook Live. I uh, answer questions about music, film, and TV, and you can win some prizes from some of the companies that I have actually been promoting and working with. And on Saturday at 4 p.m. That, yeah. that would be my plug. Uh, those and are my two things I would say. <laughs> and you yeah, can follow me a, at uh, Frampton. Yep, there's all there's a note on the sh uh, link on the show notes. Fun facts and trivia is fun. I've uh, I've watched it a time or two. It's very entertaining. I like it. Well, thanks very much, and uh, we will talk Thank to you. you later. All right, Kevin. Have a good day.